0: You're listening to the product podcast from Product School, featuring the best product leaders from Silicon Valley and beyond. If you're an aspiring product manager looking for your first PM role or an experienced PM looking to level up your skills and advance your career, visit productschool.com to learn about our certifications and how we'll get you there. This episode is brought to you by Amplitude the pioneer in digital optimization software that helps product leaders answer the question, how do our digital products drive our business? 1,400 plus customers, including Atlassian, Instacart and Under Armour, rely on Amplitude's product analytics. Get started at Amplitude.com. Today, we're joined by Disney senior PM, Greg Newman, to talk about what separates the good product managers from the great ones. As a PM, you often are given the critical task of deciding exactly what to build and have to convince your team and stakeholders to build it. Keep listening to find out how exactly to do this so that you can get out there and be a superhero PM. Hello,
1: my name is Greg Newman and I'm a senior product manager at Disney Streaming. I work on a number of products, including Hulu, Disney+, ESPN+, and Star+, which will launch later this year in Latin America. I'm a native New Yorker and studied political science in college, uh, but I spent a lot of time focusing on data projects, including sports analytics, particularly ranking of different sports teams, including college basketball, college football, and media coverage, particularly of presidential elections and doing a lot of data mining and analytical study of those. I was also in both high school and college the online editor of my school's newspaper. I later was a writer and I also coded elements for media websites. I later transitioned to be a full-time sports editor for ESPN. After working on a number of redesigns and reimagining of applications and websites, I transitioned to full-time product management. I've also spent a lot of time working on tools, both as an editor and a product manager. So, my focus has been a lot of times on how to allow users to create content experiences, be it a page, be it an article, be it a video, but enabling folks the flexibility to create the best content experiences possible. Frequently, I've also been tasked with uh, developing scalable platforms that could fulfill multiple needs of businesses. So being able to create one thing that can work across multiple businesses. I am currently on the consumer experience management product team at Disney Streaming. Um, Specifically, I look after content experiences. So ways that folks can curate content and how those things go through our system and get to end users. Frequently, people who don't know my background are surprised to learn that I was in journalism, but I find that there's a lot of similarities to those careers, and I'm not sure it's completely understood. Uh, So for one thing, in both of those, you interview people. As a reporter, you talk to experts in order to inform your articles, or you talk to them on on on-camera interviews, but you talk to all those people and try to distill their knowledge. In product, you can conduct discovery interviews where you try to distill user's experience, understand their problems, understand what they're doing, and then come up with a way to solve them. Writing has been crucial in every role that I've been in. Having clear and impactful writing is a complete necessity. Product managers write a lot more than you might think in terms of editing uh, as a former professional editor a uh, product management also doesn't happen in a silo but reviewing someone else's work and advising them on how to improve is a main part of the job A lot like editing an opinion piece, your job isn't to change the original author's point of view to yours. You're not trying to convince them. You're not trying to change anything like that. Your job is to strengthen their arguments and ask clarifying questions and make their piece and their argument as strong as possible. And developing a, a content strategy and a product strategy, to me, feels like exercising the same group of muscles in different ways. You're still prioritizing what is the most impactful things that you can do, defining the tactics needed to complete that goal, and figuring out how that fits into the larger entity, the larger business. So in a content strategy, you may say, okay, we're going to focus on these type of things. We're going to focus on news, or we're going to focus on analysis, and we're going to try to own these beats or own this thing. And a Product strategies is a similar vein of our product is trying to solve these jobs to be done or whatever other framework you want to think about. The other similarity is that writer's block is still the enemy. I wish that I uh, gave writer's block the, the axe when I moved away from full-time writing or editing. Uh, alas, that is not the case. Not knowing what to write or how to get started is still super frustrating. Uh, Sometimes you hear this referred to as the tyranny of the blank page, but now I tend to think of it more as a blank word document with a blinking cursor silently judging. It's really no fun. And figuring out how to break writer's block was a big part of journalism and is a big part of product management. And the first thing I, I tell people who ask, how do, how do you break this? How do you bl- break out of writer's block? Is that you have to start with something. Instead of dwelling on it, instead of getting really anxious and, and worrying about it, you should just start with something. A badly written thing is better than nothing at this stage. Bad writing can be fixed. Trust me, it can definitely be fixed. You can always edit later. You can always continuously improve. At this stage, it doesn't have to be grammatically correct sentences, an outline, a picture, a chart, or whatever is fine to start. It's where you feel the most comfortable. It's where you can get something going. But then you do have to be judicious with your editing. This is where you transform what you have into something that is shareable and understandable. So some questions I ask at this stage is, does this provide more information? Does this clear up things or does it add to the confusion? Because not all information is useful information. Is this the best method to convey the point? In the first step, you could use whatever you were most comfortable with, but some things have, are more understandable in certain mediums. Should you use words? Should you use an outline? Should you use a slide deck? Should you use designs, diagrams, and really curating that to your audience? And then the the biggest point that I use is how can I make this more clear? I have something, how can I help clarify it and make it more understandable, more presentable and easily accessed? The goal here is to be able to present this to somebody familiar with the subject and that they would be able to understand it. You're not trying to take a novice and explain your complexities of your product. There should be an understood level of familiarity, but that they should be able to distill it and be able to repeat it and be able to understand it. It does not have to be the best thing you've ever written or the best thing that you've ever made. Oftentimes done is better than perfect because that will allow you to move quicker and will allow you to make it better with the questions that somebody can ask and the things that you can bring. Sharing it is what enables these things to get to be the best thing you've ever done, the best thing you've ever written. I mentioned earlier that product managers write, and they write a lot, to be honest. Uh, So some of the things that I've written in the last 24 hours, uh, emails and instant messages, whether it's Slack, Teams, emails, whatever the medium is, this is a main source of communication. Often these are short. um, So being concise and to the point really helps. And this frames what is going on, what you need from the other person, of what you need from your boss, what you need from a stakeholder, what you need from a development team, what you need from a project manager. Then there are requirements. uh, And these can take so many different forms. Uh, I'll just take a few, but it's no means comprehensive. So user stories where as a blank type of user, I can do some goal so that something can be accomplished. Or PRDs, which are product requirement documents that go a little bit more in depth in our out. There, there are so many. These define what is going to be built in the scope of the feature or product being created. I'm gonna lump in acceptance criteria into requirements as well. And this is where you would define what makes this user story feature or task completed. So these are where you spell out, these are the needs for me to consider that this user story is accomplished.
0: This episode is brought to you by Amplitude, the pioneer in digital optimization software that helps product leaders innovate faster and smarter by answering the strategic question, How do our digital products drive our business? 1,400-plus customers like Atlassian, Instacart, and Under Armour rely on Amplitude's best-in-class product analytics solution to unlock insights, build winning products faster, and turn products into revenue. Get started at Amplitude.com. Meeting notes.
1: Uh, Not everyone can attend every meeting, and uh, not everybody in every meeting is having the most perfect recollection of, of everything that happened. So clarifying what was discussed and what was decided for all parties is an important step to a well-run meeting. Release notes. These are fun because you've, you've now shipped something. You've moved something into production. These can be public-facing, so things you would see in an app store, or they can also be internal. Both are important. Uh, Externally-facing ones have are reaching consumers here to your end application. Internal ones inform uh, people that you're working with of what happened. Either way, these are supposed to communicate what has changed between versions of your product. What's the difference now? What's new? Training guides, uh, particularly in my experience of working with tools, uh, you will write guides for users to explain a new feature. Here you're looking to tell users what they need to do now, what's different and how they can accomplish it and what you need them to do differently than they used to do before. Product brief and strategy memos, uh, I'll put these together. They're useful to define the goals and direction of your product. They're often more high level and done before requirements and really get to the what is trying to be accomplished. Bug reports. Uh, Sometimes you'll find something that's happening unexpectedly in your your product. Um, And when you notice that, you might use some ticketing system like JIRA or or another one. And here you're saying, what happened? Give steps to reproduce this error. So how did you get to this error? Can you do it repeatedly? Can you do this 100% of the time? Um, and then define what should be happening instead. So I notice a link is going to the wrong page. uh, So I will write when I click on this link from this place, it sends me to this website. It should be sending me to this website. Status reports. Uh, You will have to communicate status to stakeholders. So some of this is, is answering the question, what's at risk or what's happening with this feature or what's going on here or anything like that. And these generally have uh, something in common. They're very similar. It's what. They, you may have noticed that uh, in most of these written pieces, we're looking to answer a question that has the word what in it. So what should we do? What just happened? What do you need from me? And this is important. Defining the what is a core part of being a product manager. You're expected to define what should be built. And it's powerful. It's really a core competency that you need. But I wouldn't quite define it as a superpower. And I wanna talk about superpowers. In my experience, only defining the what can make somebody a competent product manager. And this is okay. And the the person could go about their job and and be a useful thing, a useful cog. Uh, But the best product managers that I know. And I've worked with have something more. It's not the ability to fly shoot webs or superhuman strength They're They have something else. It's context. Uh, they're armed with context here. They have the ability to distill information from different sources and deliver it to others. Product leaders are able to explain to stakeholders how they came about these decisions. Context is what helps convince somebody that your product or your feature is crucial to the users or the company's success, or oftentimes both. Context can help convince somebody that you are the right person to do this thing, and this is the right tool to solve it. And product managers are in a unique position to be able to deliver that background. And that's because we're generalists. I work with and talk with people who know way more about their area of expertise than I do. The development teams I work with that their code bases backwards and forwards. Designers can speak to user interfaces in ways that I would never put together. Data analysts can interpret results of complex experiments. Project and program managers can manage dependencies and schedule complex launches. And I would lose every single game of Disney trivia to the content programmers I work with on Disney+. And that's good. That's expected that these people have more expertise in these areas than you do or I do in product management. The magic that you add is in translation. You're being able to bring research and insights to a development team, explain technical complexities to business stakeholders and data information to designers is really useful. You're able to speak in all these people's languages, but you are not the expert in one of them. This is where all those meetings that you were in, where all the users you've talked to, customers, stakeholders, competitors, everything gives the product manager an opportunity to bring all of that knowledge together and it comes in the form of context. I have some methods to try to ensure I am providing enough information. I try to provide a business justification or reasoning as often as possible, even if it's just a link to another document being able to provide that information is important to tie everything together. I always attempt to err on the side of transparency with information, unless there's a good reason not to, and there sometimes is legal reasons, uh, other information that is secretive or, or important. I try to share research information, testimonials, and data as widely as possible. So give everybody the ability to see what you are seeing, to see the information that you are using. When I feel like I'm under communicating, that's a huge problem. That's a red flag for me. It needs to be addressed ASAP. And when I feel like I'm over communicating, it's normally just enough. The perception of communication is that you are doing a lot more than is actually doing. And part of that is because you're communicating with lots and lots of different people. But when you feel that you're under communicating, that's almost always been the case for me. So try to give background on how you came to your decisions and conclusions. What factors were in play? What was top of your mind at the time? What was the the major thing that set off this series of events to to start this discovery, to, to think about these things? And allow people to have the most useful part of your work that you have done and deliver it to them in an accessible manner. I often think about this like emptying my notebook from discovery. So this is a reporter's notebook where you have a whole bunch of facts and figures. Um, And this is where I get to share all the, the useful, the weird, the surprising nuggets that I learned and I'm able to deliver it to people. It may or may not actually turn into a major component or feature in the product, but it's still information that I have that I can then bring to other people and it may spark another idea within them and it may turn into something great. Context is what leads to why. So it's what switches from only answering questions with what, what are we building, what are we doing, to answering why. So why are we doing this? Why is it prioritized this way? Why is this important? And they can also address how we got there and what will happen next. So defining the why lets you build the case of the importance of your product, your feature, whatever you're working on. It also helps clarify the key measures of success. If this is why you're doing this thing, then you can determine, hey, these are the key performance metrics that we need to keep in mind here. It is also what helps you define a roadmap of what would come next. So you're gonna ship this feature, you're gonna launch a minimal viable product an MVP. These are the things that you have in mind for fast follows and then here's what could come next. So alignment on the why allows everybody to be rowing in the same direction. It keeps people on a variety of teams aligned on why we're doing this, on the reason this thing needs to be done, on the reason these users need this feature, on the reason the company needs this product, this feature. I've also found it's a very useful tool in motivation People like the context of knowing how their piece of the puzzle fits into the larger picture, whether it's design, lines of code, anything. This is where context really helps. I think it's a fair question to know why I am obsessed with the why, and to be honest, this is the place where a product manager is most able to help. My job is not to write code, I'm not trying to make designs or curate specific content experiences on Disney+. Plus, We have people that are in much better positions to accomplish that. However, product can take bits of information and synthesize it into an explanation and help every single one of those people do their job more effectively. Product managers spend a lot of time doing discovery, and it's not always clear what the output of doing all that work is. Being able to share why and why these things are happening allows all of that work to be used by a variety of people. Answering the why is how you're able to connect your product features to the overall product vision and company strategy. This is the connective tissue there. It's also where I found the most creativity in product management. And selfishly, it's also where I've had the most fun. Thinking and connecting the dots and brainstorming these elements is the most energizing part of product management for me. me. From everything to whiteboarding to discussions to high-level thinking, this is really where I find the most, um, the most fun. And it's also worked. Uh, the very best product launches and features I've worked on had robust answers to the why question before anybody started. The correlation is strong enough and for me seems well-reasoned enough that I think causation's also in play. So I think it's not just that that happens to be the case. I think that there is a reason for that. When I've worked on product or features or things that just weren't as successful, frequently the we didn't answer the why beforehand. This is often due to rush timelines or external factors being in play, but I still think it's worth mentioning. And thinking about and debating about the why has stopped me and lots of other people I know from spending time, money, and resources on things that don't make sense on closer scrutiny. The, the Asking those why questions has made it, oh, we shouldn't build this. And then we can use our resources on something that we have a more clarity on the why. Having written explanations also saves time. Instead of having to schedule a meeting to explain to each individual why this is happening, putting it in a document form or a visual form or something shareable gives a lot more flexibility. For some features I've worked on, if I had to explain to each individual stakeholder why this is important, why we're doing this, why we're doing this instead of that, I would do nothing else all day. Having the shareable explanation also lets it live further. It has a, a bigger life cycle. So when you move on to a different role or years in the future or whatever, the documentation should still display good thinking and the thinking of that time. I'm often surprised that many people are still reading documents that I wrote years ago. And honestly, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten until someone had a question or a clarifying thing. And you say, "Oh, that I wrote that in 2018 or I wrote that in 2016 or, or whatever. And it lets you save the world, or at least save the world from uh, poor product thinking.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Product Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Taking the time to write just a few sentences about what you love most about the show will help us improve it and reach even more product people around the world. And when you're done, why not reward yourself with some free product management content and resources over at ProductSchool.com? Until next time, stay product-led.